Hey ladies and gentlemen, this is Tony Florio and welcome to the Hangry and Horny Podcast. I just gotta say that I have a massive boner for life that's coming all the time. Radio silence. <laughs> Anyways, I just want to give a shout out to my sponsors at dropanfbomb.com. Check out their website. They have amazing macadamia-based butters. Nut butters, that is. Go to dropanfbomb.com. Look at their different selections of macadamia nut butters, like the favorite of mine, macadamia with sea salt. They have salted chocolate, pecan, and a macadamia with coconut. They also carry amazing uh, oils, like olive oil, MCT oil and avocado oil. They have t-shirts as well. So if you like to get a discount on your first order, go and use the promo code FLOWREAL. F-L-O-W-R-E-A-L. And I'll give you 20% off of your first order. My next guest is one of my buddies. He is a... One of the top Wim Hof Method instructors in the world. His name is Chuck McGee III. And uh, he's also one of my instructors for the Magic Flow Bus. Chuck has had an like adult onset autoimmune condition where he developed type 1 diabetes. And uh, through the Wim Hof Method, which is... The Iceman, Wim Hof, who has the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest uh, sit in in ice for nearly two hours. And Wim Hof has taught other people how they too can develop that inner fire and have that resilience to be able to withstand extreme temperatures, whether it's the ice cold or the hot, the heat. So Chuck had discovered about Wim and through the Vice documentary, check it out. It's a really awesome story on Wim Hof. And Chuck had gone to actual Poland to Mount Sneska where he summited the mountain there in just his shorts in like the dead winter with like a whole group of amazing people that are interested in testing their limits and finding out how they too can overcome challenges, not just in their physiology, but their psychology. So give it up for my next guest, Chuck McGee. He had me in stitches and uh, I just think he's an amazing person. So have a great listen and enjoy everybody. Peace. Mr. Chuck McGee, what's happening? <laughs> good evening, Tony. How the heck are you? Pretty good, man. So we are in Santa Clara, California. That's correct. At least I hope so. Or I've been lied to about this location for a long time. I know, man. This is pretty rad. We're in this like really old house. I guess it's been here for generations. Yes. 
it's my uncle's house now, but used to belong to my grandfather. And so your grandfather's story, man, we got to get into this because he sounds like a really cool dude. Pretty much so, yeah. I like my grandpa, uh, William Hilton. He was a, a lawyer, and he basically helped figure out where a case would be tried. So you like, and your wife break up. She's from another country. She takes your kids. Where's the case get tried? He'd help figure out the laws, and the case would be tried pretty much for whoever called him first would win. Yeah, so like if somebody took their kid like out of country, like out of the U.S., mm-hmm. He would figure out a way to get the case tried back in the U.S. Yes, citing laws and regulations and cases that came before. I am not a lawyer. I don't even pretend to understand what he did, but it was it was pretty awesome to listen to him talk about his work. Yeah, and so he's like a Hilton. Yeah, one one of the Hiltons. So yeah. you're related to the Hilton. I I am. <laughs> I think I'm like third or fourth cousin. So I I don't think that's much of anything. But yeah. They're, they're third or fourth cousins of mine. Yeah, so with uh, the, which Hilton is actually running the Hilton? Uh, Baron Hil- Hilton is running Hilton Hotels. Okay, got Conrad it. Hilton's son. And got it. Conrad Hilton started Hilton Hotels. Baron now runs it. And that's, yeah, that's who's in charge now. Right, and you said at one point when you were living in L.A. that your third cousin, Paris Hilton, almost <laughs> ran you over. Yes, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> So, or someone that looked strikingly a lot like her. Okay. <laughs> so with your grandfather, he like he passed away. He did. Yeah. And at his funeral, you had mentioned that they played like one of the cases. At one of an homage to him. Yeah. Not at the family funeral, but it, it one of the law schools. They they told a story about how in one of his cases, a lawyer tried to cite a certain statute against him, and my grandfather said, "I have an objection. That statute doesn't apply here." And the judge says, why? What, what makes you the expert? He's like, well, I wrote it, and it doesn't apply here. The case was dismissed right away. Right so away. Check your sources before you <laughs> cite something. Make sure it's not the guy you're going against. That doesn't look well for your case. That's crazy. So he's never lost a case? like you. He mentioned. lost. Okay. But in the end of his career, one of his favorite things to say is, well, whoever calls me first is going to win. He just had that level of confidence and surety. He gave speeches all over the world about his specific style of law and it was just it was amazing in the in the winter of his life he was still being asked to speak all over the world like and it was just impressed to be like where were you this year grandpa he's like well i went to japan and mexico a couple times so he would just offhandedly mention how he jet set around the world made his own clothes didn't drive a car always took the train or rode his bike up until pretty much the end when he couldn't ride his bike anymore that's wild man yeah he, he liked being natural yeah, so I mean, I mean, this is huge because I guess, like you were saying, like some of the parents or one of the parents would take their kids to their home back in the Middle East, and mm-hmm. he was able to get these kids back to. The He'd parent. have the case tried in the U.S., and if the parent won the case, the kids would stay. Right, because the kid was born in the U.S., but, but it also t- had like, dual citizenship because of, because yeah. of his mom or her mom. So in some ways, where it's like kidnapped because they're not citizen of that Middle East country. No, they would have dual citizenship because okay. the mom was. Oh right. That. So technically, it, it's is it kidnapping? Is it not? Where's the case tried? It's very tricky because you know she's a citizen or he's a citizen of this country. So the kid's got dual citizenship. The kid is there now, so there's a strong reason for it to be tried there. But then again, in America, 
this is where he was from, this is where the crime took place, so it's wherever, where, wherever the law could prove the case should be tried, they'd have to honor that. Yeah, and I fully understand that because I'm actually a Greek citizen, I didn't know that until they uh, took me aside at the airport the second time I was there visiting my family and they said, oh, by the way, you just overstayed your time here in Greece and now you're subjected to Greek law. Now you got to serve in the military. Oh, goodness. <laughs> so I was like, uh, but I'm an American citizen. They're like, yeah, but you're also a Greek citizen now. And because you overstayed, you're subjected to Greek law. So we are going to actually keep you here. And they actually like pulled me aside and my sister and her husband had been with me and they're like, you guys can go to the gate, go to the airplane. We're taking him. And so they put me in this room and for like, you know, maybe 20, 30 minutes, I was just sitting there like prepared to actually enter the Greek military. And so they actually took me into one of the superior office and I was sitting there and it looked like some black and white, like scene from one of those movies with like an old rotary phone and, <laughs> and the guy's like you know this is really serious matter you know and I was like apparently and <laughs> I was like I understand that you guys have this this uh, law but I'm an American citizen they're like yeah but you're Greek and so you have to serve your time your conscription I guess that's what they call it and uh, he's like let me see what I can do and he picked up the phone used the rotary and then he's speaking in Greek, like, and I was like, I don't know how I know that Greek language. But uh, anyways, he hangs it up and says, it's your lucky day. We're going to let you go. But when you come back to Greece, you have to sign up for the military and go back to Thessaloniki. And I was like, OK, thank you. He's like, now go get your plane. I just barely made. Have you the been flight. back to Greece? <laughs> I've not been back to Greece in like eight years. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I'd go back either. Yeah, but apparently like I'm like too old. I also have like medical uh, clearance as well. You know, only having one kidney, being hearing impaired. So not know. speaking Greek, not speaking Greek. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I fully understand like that, uh, you know, when my mom and father had divorced there that could have been a possibility mm -hmm. you know if and we had been taken to greece you know and she had to like try to like get us back per se so that's really cool that your grandfather did that he did yeah it's it's nice when, when he, he loved bad lawyer jokes but i said aren't you one of the good lawyers he said it depends if i'm on your side but generally the people who go against me don't like me so it's all a matter of perspective i guess yeah yeah so chuck mcgee the third yeah charles richard mcgee the third actually <laughs> go by chuck because that last part's a mouthful yeah exactly so let's get a little into like your own background so um right now and then we're going to go like a little bit into the past but right now you're currently a wim hof uh practitioner and uh how would you call yourself i think instructors are good instructor okay because i i can teach you the knowledge i have but i can't breathe for you and i can't sit in the ice for you and there's only so much coaching that can be done until you have to take it and take responsibility for it and just do it so i like the term instructor because we'll teach you everything you need to know to practice and practice safely but you have to do it 
Right. And that's what I love about you because you had that like presence of mind and as a guide and instructor to be fully there for the people as they enter this really extreme ice bath, you know? So where did that uh, sort of compassion or uh, care come from, you know, as you're overseeing and making sure that people are safe? Well, that's, I mean, my degrees, my bachelor's and master's degree are in theater. So that's all about the ensemble, the group, the troupe, making sure everybody goes, this, the show's got to go on. So there's that family unit there. Even though we're all separate, we all have our own separate jobs. We still all look out for each other. And I think it really came from bartending. I was a bartender for 16 years and you can't serve people something that makes them not as smart as they normally are and not watch out for them. Uh, I mean, well, I should preface that with it depends on your attitude. <laughs> right. <laughs> Some people I would go to the ends of the earth for and other people I would just watch fall off. <laughs> so, but being behind the bar and just the energy of that group and the regulars and the people coming in and out, it just... It's, it was my job to watch for people and to take, to, to, you know, let them get safely drunk and keep a safe environment where you don't have to worry about, you know, another drunk person ruining your night or, you know, that guy's had too much. So let's get him out of here. Or that guy just came from another bar. So, you know, he can't be here either. It's just being aware. So it taught me to be hyper aware which is what you need when someone's getting in the ice. So. Right, right. And so, you know, in that loud environment, you're like fully focused and alert and you're having conversations with people at the same time. It just depends mm -hmm. on like the, whether it's like peak time or. Yeah. yeah. If it's three people deep Saturday night at midnight, I'm not really talking to anybody besides your order, your order and your order at the same time. And then I'll make like 15 drinks at once, get them out and move on to the next person. But I was fortunate enough to work on Monday and Tuesday nights where I would be able to bartend by myself and it wasn't super busy, but I also didn't have to split tips. So I, I would have time to talk with people, to tell jokes, to like hear people's stories. And I loved collecting drunk people's stories. Like sometimes <laughs> I couldn't write the stuff they came up with. So like they're, they're just, some of them were fun, some of them were tragic and others were just off the wall. So... I don't know. It's that atmosphere is just, I, I kind of miss it, but I also don't miss the stress that it brought. Right. Right. So on some levels you learn to like be in a chaotic environment, you know, and mm -hmm. then other levels more of a, like a relaxed environment. Mm -hmm. So, so those two things enabled you to like really be present with the people It transferred over to like guiding them through the Wim Hof method mm -hmm. and getting into the ice bath. And even to an extent to the hikes on Mount Schneska in Poland, yeah. because it's, it can get chaotic up there. It can get stressful and the instructors don't have time to get stressed out and let things overwhelm us. We have to be present. We have to watch the participants. And if I didn't have the training to embrace the chaos, that would have been a lot harder than it was. Right, because you're taking people up to a high elevation in the snow, and sometimes there's a blizzard that may pass through. Well, if a blizzard passes through, we put our clothes on. Okay. We're, we're crazy, we're not stupid. Right, right, okay. <laughs> so we, we, will, we have multiple points we can stop on the way and just get dressed and turn around. And sometimes it's not about the summit. 
we don't have to reach the summit of the mountain. It's the journey. And, and knowing when to turn around, even though that goal you want is right there in front of you, you can see the top. But today's just not that day. It sounds like Everest, right? Because so many people are paying like, like, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe a million dollars to get, you know, guided up to summit either Everest or K2 but the conditions aren't right that day. So they're like, sorry, we got to turn around. Your yeah. life is in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And so you have the same responsibility with some of these people that are paying money to come and summit the same place that Wim Hof, the Iceman, mm-hmm. summits, mm-hmm. you know, in his shorts, by the way. Yeah, without a shirt. Without and a shirt. He usually wears a beanie and a pair of shorts. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes shoes. Sometimes shoes. Sometimes. Okay. Crazy. So yeah. So you're there being calling that that shot, basically. Mm-hmm. All of the instructors we work as a team together. We've got walkie talkies. We're communicating up and down the line. We're watching everyone for the slightest bit of discomfort. If someone's like you know moving a little bit, we'll say you know you should probably put your jacket on right now. But a lot of people don't want to. They're like, no, I can do it. And it's, well, maybe it's not about you can do it. We know you can do it, but it what would you be proving? Who are you competing against? Because these other people walking, they're on their own journey. You're walking it with them, but it's their journey just as this is yours. And there's no, like I've put my jacket on before and it's okay. You don't always have to go to the extreme for as long as that next guy next to you because you never know what they've been through. So I don't compare myself to my neighbors, let alone whim. That would be insane. How do you measure up to that guy? Yeah, so he set the Guinness Book of World Record for longest time in ice, right? An hour and 53 minutes. Right, so almost two hours, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so other people see his story and they're like trying to be like him or they want like a photo op or something, Mm -hmm. something to like take back home and say, hey, look at me, look what I did, right? (laughs) Yeah. And But they've not... They've had like the training or the years experience that Wim has. And this is like across the board for like all kinds of feats or, uh, you know, bucket list challenges that people are like trying to do. Mm-hmm. And your role as a guide and instructor would be like, hey, sorry, you know, like th- your safety is important. It's your life. It's like cutting off a drunk person. They don't want to be cut off. They're, they're an adult. They don't like being told no. They don't want to admit that maybe now is a good time to turn around. And sometimes people get a little aggravated. I've seen people, you know, it's time to put your clothes on. They'll glare at me like they want to hit me. And I'm like, well, you can hit me, but you're going to waste your body heat doing so. So take a swing and then you'll put your jacket on because you'll be cold and you've just dropped focus. So if, if I hadn't had the experience dealing with people who don't want to do what I'm asking them to do, even if it's in their own best interest, that would have been nigh impossible. Right. And if you have to, I mean, you're not like you're a tiny guy. <laughs> and so you've actually had like bouncing experience in the bar as well. Or Yes, absolutely. Okay. I, it's yeah, I, I was security slash bartender and there were times when I had to be security slash bartender. That was just the way it was. And it was when someone says, well, I'm not going to leave and it's time for them to leave. You have two choices. Either let them stay and cause a massive scene or you've got to touch someone and get them out. And I was always, I tried to always be as gentle as possible. But if someone's trying to hit you with a pitcher, I don't really know how gentle you're allowed to be. (laughs) (laughs) Or a pool stick or a pint glass. 
or a bar stool or a candy machine interesting so people have actually like thrown like glass objects at you mm-hmm. or wood or whatever they can get their hands on yeah the most common item is a, a bar mat filled with all the nasty stuff that uh. we've been pouring that's that's just gross yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're covered in just sticky ick and you're just like oh i feel i need to bathe yeah and you go home and take two showers so the funny part of this story is that you found out about Wim Hof, the Iceman, from a... A customer I, I couldn't serve any more alcohol to because he was intoxicated on another substance. And he came in and he would not leave until I promised to look up the Wim Hof method. And I watched the Vice documentary that night at his suggestion. And to this day, I am forever grateful that he came into the bar and would not stop talking about it. That's and crazy. when I first heard about it, I thought it was this crunchy, hippie granola thing. But I'm a type 1 diabetic, and in the Vice documentary, it says it helps optimize your cardiovascular system. I said, what have I got to lose? Right, because being type 1 or type 2, you have issues with circulation. Yeah. Well, type 1 is the, the type of diabetes I have. So I'm insulin dependent, and if my blood sugar gets too high, it really messes up my cardiovascular system. So I wanted to do something that would help prevent or mitigate any damage done. And thanks, you know, ice baths help, you know, have been shown to help make you more insulin sensitive. So I started taking ice baths and doing the breathing and the amount of insulin I needed to take declined. Now my insurance company switches my insulin up on me whenever they feel like it. So that's kind of fun, but it's still, I'm at a lower amount of insulin than I should be. So I'm pretty excited about that. That's cool. And so from what I remember, you weren't born type 1 diabetic. Mm-hmm. Like it was mm-hmm. a rare thing that actually you had it happen to you. Yeah. Like or received the symptoms of it There's There's three, life. three ways to become a type 1 diabetic. Uh, the first way is genetic. You're born with it. You, you get it when you're really young. Uh, the second way is the one a lot of people are familiar with. You're type 2 and you just don't manage it properly and eventually it progresses into type 1 diabetes which means you're just insulin dependent the difference between type 1 and 2 type 1 has to take insulin type 2 can take like metformin or something and be okay and the third one is an autoimmune reaction in your body and they're not sure why your body does that or why it starts attacking yourself but that's what happened to me they they think it was attributed to a mold allergy i lived in humboldt county it's a temperate rainforest everyone who lives up there deals with mold all the time i'd lived there since i was a little kid and they think it just got to be so much that it affected my pancreas but uh i got the eat right and get healthy illness so of all the illnesses to get i got the one that if i take care of it also no negative symptoms how did you know that you were like having the symptoms of, of this <laughs> thought I was dying. I was just in an incredible amount of pain. It felt like someone was taking a knife and just twisting it in each of my kidneys. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I would throw up after I ate like anything. My body was just shutting down. My blood sugar was super high because my pancreas stopped working. So it wasn't processing anything. So I went to the hospital and I think I was the only person there that day praying that they had a kidney infection, (laughs) but wasn't the case. Jeez, man. Yeah, I just can't imagine, like, you know, could I, how old were you when it happened? 32. I'm 39 now. Okay. So what, what have you done to basically keep yourself healthy besides, like, the Wim Hof method? Well, I, I eat nutritionally close to a ketogenic diet. 
but because I take insulin, I, it's hard for me to enter ketosis because if I have to take insulin, it pushes me out of ketosis. So I eat a very few amount of carbs, lots of vegetables, um, and intermittent fasting, I would say, has been one of the, the biggest things that's helped because I'm not eating as much. I don't have big swings in my blood sugar. I wake up feeling great. I actually have more energy than when I was eating three or four times a day trying to keep everything perfect. So I'll start eating around noon. I'll have like a hamburger patty or a chicken breast. Uh, maybe fry a piece of cheese to make it like a taco shell Oh man, shell or I've something. had that before at your place. Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> so a piece of fried cheese, maybe some tomatoes, lettuce, onions, pickle, and eat that with a side salad. And for dinner, I'll have a big salad and um, a small amount of protein. And I'll just try and favor getting most of my carbs from the vegetables I eat. Okay. Can you explain like uh, ketogenic, like what exactly so type of diet is that? Ketogenic is a high fat diet around 70% fat, 20% protein and 5% carbs. 25% protein. There we go. That's a hundred. I yeah. can do math. <laughs> um, and it's, it's basically like if you're, you want about 70% of your caloric intake to be from fat. So I, I, I actually eat about 10 to 15% carb intake and at about 30% protein and then the other part fat because it, I have to, you know, keep uh, the insulin keeps taking glucose out of my body. So if I don't add carbs in, they're just going to be taken out and I'll pass out and I don't want that to happen. Right, right. But it does keep my blood sugar relatively low. Okay. So I try and stay below like 150 all the time. And if I go really high, that it could be from stress, adrenaline. Um, stress is the big one. Right. So how does stress like uh, increase your blood sugar levels? Basically, I start to breathe incorrectly, go into fight or fight and just get really tense. I get an adrenaline boost. And a lot of people, if your, your pancreas is working fine, that's okay. You'll just process it. But a type 1 diabetic, when they get an adrenaline boost, their liver dumps glucose into their body. So you see a big spike in your blood sugar. Right. So, so like in fight or flight, you're releasing glucose as quick energy, right? Mm -hmm. To either to, fight to or yeah. flee. Yeah. Right. Or there's the frozen part, right? Yes. Freeze. But uh, essentially, uh, adrenaline, cortisol that's released during this time is mobilizing these sugars out mm -hmm. of what your liver, your, liver. your heart, I your mean, liver. excuse me, your muscles, mm -hmm. skeletal muscles. Well, so your muscles have the energy to, to, to run or not. Right. So you'll see that, like, I have a friend who does jujitsu, and if he's practicing at the dojo, his, his blood sugar is pretty okay. But if he's going to go out and fight, and he's going to go to a tournament, his blood sugar spikes really high before the first match. But that's a natural phenomenon that happens with fighters. So... He was the one who first made me aware that that could happen. Okay. And I'm really grateful for him for that. That's cool, man. So um, as you found out about the uh, Wim Hof method from this drunk dude, <laughs> or you said he was on something else, you know, yes. Um, but he wouldn't leave you alone until you actually went and saw the Vice documentary, which I actually saw myself and found out about like the Iceman, you know, and I was mm -hmm. like, holy shit, there's this guy that figured out like how to increase the inner fire in our bodies, which we lost touch of because of, you know, modern living and you the part in, of, 
a narrow band of comfort in our lives. If you think about the temperatures people are exposed to, you may be exposed to extreme cold or extreme heat, but it's generally from the car to your house or wherever you're going, so your exposure is very minimal. And in doing so, your body's never uncomfortable. It's never forced to adapt, to change, and it kind of sits there. And it's happy to be comfortable. The brain doesn't like change. It tries to keep you, you know, safe and secure. So in doing these uncomfortable things, I've become more comfortable in my life. So, right. And that was what Wim was promising, is that people would f- discover health, happiness, and strength yep. through doing his method. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are anxious and depressed or just pretty much, like you said, are always in a comfort zone because we're like constantly in indoors Mm -hmm. so if you're not in touch with nature that part of our brain has in some ways like uh gone dormant Mm -hmm. so what was it um that really like triggered you besides the fact that it helps for you know like this autoimmune condition that you developed well it's i think the best way to put it is is it let me know that i don't have to be an automatic anymore i didn't realize that Everyone was putting their body like a car and just drive and just going and accepting the pain they have every day, accepting depression, accepting all of these disorders. And I never realized that there's a stick shift and a clutch and a break right in front of me. I just never saw it. And by controlling my breath, by leaning into the uncomfortable environment that is taking an ice bath or going for a cold exposure hike, I can control my stress level. I can notice when my body is starting to become stressed and go, okay, I can calm myself down right now. I can slow my my breath down. And in slowing my breath down, I can keep myself calm. And if I can stay calm, I won't freak out or get stressed by this. And driving in the Bay Area is a great place to practice staying calm. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Any metropolitan city, for sure. Yeah. Anywhere you've got traffic is a great way to practice patience. Yep. Yeah. And so with that uh, understanding, like if people are listening and want to know, like how is that going to translate into their life in terms of, you know, doing the cold bath and learn how to breathe? Um, what are the benefits that they can expect to have in their lives? Well, my pulse rate before I did the Wim Hof method, because I was a diabetic, they check me all the time. My pulse rate was uh, about 85 to 90 resting, which is not the healthiest. I was on blood pressure medication because my blood pressure was too high. And I, you know, the third pillar of the Wim Hof method is mindset. And I really went for it. I still practice every day. And my blood pressure dropped. I'm not on blood pressure medication anymore. My resting heart rate's down to 65, which is incredible. My heart beats 30 beats less a minute all the time now. That adds up over time. And when I see something stress me, I let it hit me full force. And I just accept the fact that this is going to be stressful, but I know how to handle stress. I know how to handle stress because I can handle stress in the ice. I I am comfortable with the uncomfortable now. So I, I let it hit me. I let it take my breath away like the ice does. And then I take control. I slow my breath down because that's the one thing I can control is how I'm breathing. So I'll slow it down. Three in, six out. And I just focus on that. And even if it is a flight or fight situation, 
it still gives me that calm clarity to see things without like being clouded by stress or anxiety or anger that used to just bubble forth. <laughs> oh, cool, man. So this gave me the idea right now to have you actually take us through a breathing uh, demonstration. We can do that. So anybody that's listening, like what, what should they do right now? Uh, what are they trying to do? Are they trying to wake up and get more energy or are they trying to relax? Let's say get more energy. So if they want to get more energy, that's deep into the belly, up into the chest. And you want to imagine your breath like gear one. So gear one is just your normal breath. Gear two is about 20% faster. Whatever that number means to you. It's just a little faster and it's circular. No pause between inhale and exhale. Try and breathe in through your nose, but you know, get the air in however you can, nose or mouth. So it's just in, belly, up into the chest. And you just let it go and you just find that rhythm. It's 30 or 40 breaths, just in and out. You're gonna feel lightheaded, so lay down. Find a safe place to sit, never while you're driving, never in water. Don't do this while you're walking. And just breathe in and out, in and out at a nice steady pace. And after about 30 or 40 breaths, we're going to hold our breath on the exhale. So we're going to do five more. One. Last two, fully in and out. Last one, in and let go comfortably. And if you feel like you need to take another breath, that's okay too. But just hold. You might feel lightheaded, your hands might tingle, your face might feel funny, and that's all normal. And you just wanna hold in this stillness. Eventually, you wanna become aware of your heart beating any other phenomena you're feeling in your body. One of my favorite things to tell people is this is something you are doing, not something happening to you. And as we hold our breath, eventually your body will say, it's time to breathe. And when you get that breathe, you take a deep breath and hold for about 10, 15 seconds. And then just exhale. And we do that about three or four times in the beginning. Wow, man. I'm high right now. <laughs> a little bit, probably. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty familiar with this. Obviously, I've done the Wim Hof Method and met Wim myself. Yes. And uh, for, for the people who are listening, it's such a treat to be able to um, change your state. For example, if you're feeling a little fatigued or mm -hmm. just tired or you need a quick burst of energy, this actual method you just taught is a great one to boost energy levels yeah and if you want to even you can even use it to calm down if you favor your exhale and you make your exhale longer than your inhale and you start to breathe slow and just circular your whole body will start to slow down and you can just calm yourself down it's you you can what i love about the wim hof method is there's no dogma it's it's just here's the basic framework use it as it applies to you 30 to 40 breaths Exhale and hold. Inhale for 10 or 15 seconds after you exhale. Repeat three or four times. The speed is up to you. 
How many times you do it is really up to you, but it's just, this is the framework Wim found that works the best. And it's pretty spectacular that all you have to do to do this is breathe. Right, right. So his famous saying is... It's breathe, motherfucker. <laughs> as irreverent as the man himself. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah. And Wim doesn't take himself very seriously, and that's why, well, that's one of the main reasons I respect him so much. Yeah. He, he always has fun with what he's doing. Yeah, that's obvious when you meet him. And, <laughs> and any time after you get a chance to, like, listen to him on podcasts or uh, any interviews or see documentaries based on him, he always has that like infectious humor, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's never taken himself seriously and you know, you just can't like, uh, help to not like love him. You know, he's just like a adorable human being. He really is. It's hard not to smile when he's around. Yeah. And crazy and insane. And he, he owns it. That's the beauty yeah. part of it. You know, he's okay with it. So why, why shouldn't you be? <laughs> so what was it like, uh, meeting him for the first time for you? I thanked him. I said, you know, your mouth, your method helped me gained a deeper control and understanding of my diabetes. And what he said to me blew me away. I've met a lot of people who call themselves gurus. Wim does not. Um, and they'll say, you know what? I- I'm glad I could help. But Wim said, "Is it's your victory. You did the breath work. You did what you needed to do to take care of your own health. Thanks for being you. And thanks for trying my method. And that was it. He took the compliment, but it was just, it blew me away that he's like, oh, it was you who did the work. I just showed you the path. You had to walk it. And that was, I think that's where I was like, you know, I want to teach this. <laughs> that's cool. And so when you went to Sneska uh, in Poland, mm-hmm. Mount Sneska the first time, were you actually like a participant or you were guiding? I had just finished the last part of the instructor course. So I, I, I didn't know if I'd passed yet. I didn't know if I was going to be an instructor. Um, I wanted to. I'd taken all the tests. I'd done all the courses. And I went as an assistant. And I got to practice under Jerome Werens was there. Daniel Klukin was there. And Bart Pronk was there. And those, I was assistant to Jerome. But those three gentlemen taught me so much in practical experience that it was an amazing, amazing time. I got to assist Jerome. We stayed in the house, Wim's house. So that was kind of neat to be able to do that. We hiked Schnesco. We got to go into that beautiful waterfall pool. And I was a participant and assistant. I got to do both. So I got to see the best of both worlds. And it was pretty amazing. That's cool. And so one of the things that uh, you learned was just in some sense, like the tribal part of it. And tapping into Mm -hmm. like these higher states of like consciousness through like the breathing Mm -hmm. and then there's like you know just like a natural like chant that happens like soon like (laughs) anytime like you're around whim you just can't help to like turn into like a savage human being you know and start like chanting and and uh you know want to go run around and like act crazy and you know have a fun time it's, it's true. It's, it, it just naturally comes out. One person will start and then the whole group starts and then you just feel safe in your tribe and you feel safe to be you and know that these people come from all walks of life. Uh, last year, it, we had people from all over the world, fashion designers from India who made it to the top of Mount Shneska. We had people from Bahrain, Kuwait, the Middle East where it's super, super hot, not a lot of snow. And they made it to the top. 
And it, it just shows you that people from all walks of life can do this. No experience, no prior training, and they just did it. They, they set their goal and they accomplished it. And it, that's to me is the most awe-inspiring thing I've seen is people come and they're like, yeah, I, I heard about this. I want to try it. And then they summit a mountain in, in a pair of shorts and gloves and a hat. Something they, they thought to be impossible in the morning, they accomplish in the afternoon. And watching people's journey is just, it's a privilege to be able to watch. Yeah, that's awesome. And the beauty of the whole system and the method is that it's actually uh, scientifically being validated and researched. So that's the great thing about Wim is that he's like... You At know, Wim's request, actually. Yeah, He right? wants to push it into science as much as possible. Yeah, so it's not just, you know, some wacky method, <laughs> uh, so some cult leaders doing. I mean, he, like, jokingly talks about, like, drinking the Kool-Aid, you know? like He warns against drinking your own Kool-Aid, actually. <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, besides, like, these people from all walks of life that came and actually summited Mount Sinesca, especially, like, places that were, like, hot, you know, um, what other types of, uh, sort of, uh, I guess symptoms that people were relieved from, you know, that you've actually witnessed outside of your own. I've seen people with rheumatoid arthritis, see their symptoms lessen sometimes, completely go away but right which looks like the last podcast we had to interview mm-hmm. uh, scott riley from mm-hmm. northern ireland yep and he also said that through juicing and exercise mm-hmm. and then finally the wim hof method and plant medicines yep he was able to be symptom free from rheumatoid arthritis right that's incredible uh, i've seen people with depression i mean the wim hof method doesn't cure anything but I've seen people get a better control of their depression because now they're aware of what's happening in their body and they can hear that first set of dominoes start to fall. Whenever I was starting to get depressed, I would kind of feel it coming on. And if I can catch it in that beginning part and go sit in an ice bath, I can stop the rest from falling. So it's given me and a bunch of friends I know that control to stop that sequence from going further. It makes me aware of what's triggered it and I can stop it. Um, I've seen people who are constantly stressed, like have ulcers, they're throwing up from it. And this gives them a healthy way to channel that energy out and to calm themselves down. Um, I've, there's, you know, just, I have one friend who had irritable bowel syndrome and she's seen a little bit of help for that but she's just started so helped with like inflammation Mm -hmm. it helps with inflammation and they they found that chronic inflammation can lead to depression so if you can find a way to reduce inflammation in your body which is what this method helps do it's only going to help you right and so what about um you know your family like your kids your your wife have they taken it on as as uh, like serious as you have well my my son is seven my daughter is nine so i i hope they're not feeling any stress or anything in their lives and they can just be kids but they'll do the breath work with me sometimes for fun and i let them play or they'll go play in an, play in the ice bath for a few seconds and then get out and that's fine i just let them play and be them my wife practices the breath work and she's, she's pain-free. She doesn't have any pain. She's not 
really a stressed out person. That's my job. I'm, I'm the stressed out one that's, that's hurt. So she just does the breath work. And when she feels the need to take an ice bath, she does. So that's cool. That's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. I've seen the, uh, the ice box the that you freezer. had. Yeah. So the chest freezer, um, for those who are listening, this is like a very, I guess, economical way to invest in, uh, this thing that you can put in your house, this chest freezer to do the, the I, I wouldn't put it in your house maybe your garage or your back porch okay <laughs> yeah not in the house yeah. per se but so, yeah. yeah but it's i have a 15.5 cubic foot chest freezer i've sealed all the internal seams with a mold resistant bathtub silicone i fill it up with water put a little salt in there and cool it down it's on maybe an five hours a day in one hour increments the water stays 33 degrees. The chest freezer cost me 400 bucks two years ago. And I was spending a bag of ice is five or six bucks. And you need five or six of them. So that's 25 to $30. Every time you do an ice bath. Every time you do an ice bath. And if right. I want to do one five days a week, that's 150 bucks a week. Right. It just wasn't cost effective. Yeah. So this thing paid itself off basically. And you were able to get it like used on like Craigslist or no, something? No, that was or? brand new. Really? Yeah. And just a heads up, don't ask in the Home Depot or Lowe's if a body can fit in the freezer. They get really touchy about those questions, <laughs> especially if they find you sitting in one. They really didn't understand what I was doing and they almost called the cops on me. Oh man, like why, oh, yeah, it's gone for a test drive. Yeah, why, why are you seeing if a body fits in that freezer? Because... I'll be putting my body in there. <laughs> so, Even that sounds ridiculous, it, right? It sounded a bit ridiculous. They're just, like, uh, so you're going to like put yourself in a coffin? What are you doing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. The only rule we have for the, the chest freezer is always unplug it before you get in. Yeah. That's number one rule. Because oh, electricity yeah. and water, for whatever reason, just aren't good bedfellows. It just right. doesn't work out well. Yes. <laughs> and that's, that's super important. I mean, because like, as you iterated, uh, and we're reiterating the, the important, the safety, safety first, yes, yeah, never first. force anything, never force anything. Uh, when you're hiking in these conditions, always you know. have a, I, when I hike, I have an extra beanie, an extra set of gloves, another shirt, a sweatshirt, a jacket, uh, the little quick break heat things I'm prepared. I, we don't just go out like with nothing. Just winging it. No, no way. Never. Always prepared and usually with a partner. Yeah. And even if your partner's clothed, that's okay. Yeah. And uh, obviously you would let somebody know if you're going somewhere hiking. Absolutely. Yeah. That's number, number I mean, one that's the thing, role. right? Like if you like get stuck in some blizzard or you're just cold and you have no way of warming yourself up and then your mind starts you know, going offline. You make decisions like a drunk person. Yeah. I've seen it happen. People will get to the top of Mount Schneska and they'll forget that we have to come back down. So they're at the top and they're celebrating and they're like, Oh, Oh, I'm really cold. And it's like, yeah, we're only halfway done. And you just dropped your focus. Mm. So we usually have everyone get dressed at the top. That's the rule. Okay. Without a doubt, everyone gets dressed at the top because people start to celebrate and get elated and they drop their focus and they start to get cold. Right. So what about, um, you know, like in the case of like going up there, if you guys do put clothes, you obviously put clothes back on, Mm -hmm. 
And then as you're going back down and you're warming up again and people like start taking the layers off. No. Okay. Got to keep your clothes on the rest of the trip. Got it. Mm -hmm. Because your body's been through a stressful ordeal and there's only so much stress a body can take before it's like no more. And we don't ever want people to hit that point. We want you to have a safe with structure experience. I mean, we're pushing the limits of personal comfort, but if it, 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 we don't ever want it to be unsafe. So we always have people put their clothes on and keep them on because it's just the safest thing to do. So this goes into like listening and focus and like knowing where your line is, right? Because there's ego gets involved and people are like, oh, I, you know, my line's here, but I have to do this, mm-hmm. you know, or they're like, you know, I'm at the top and they're feeling pretty good, but it's mandatory to put the clothes back on. But they're just like, hey, I want to go back down there yep. without, you know, yep. putting that extra layers on. So, like, how do you, like, advise people on on these sort of things? And even, like, going into the ice bath, like, some people may go in, like, by themselves, right? There's so many things that could go wrong, including, like, breathing uh, in the water, which you guys definitely never do. Right. We never practice the Wim Hof method breathing in the ice In the ice. We try and suggest three seconds in six seconds out longer exhale than inhale, slow your heart rate down. And when we're walking, we try and do the same thing. And we'll start to hum when we walk too, because you can't breathe quickly when you're humming or you can, but it just makes you sound ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's a method to the madness. There is. And so again, like, you know, people, um, who are listening, these are all the sort of precautions to look for, right? Cause mm-hmm. if you're like new and naive, right. To this type of thing. And, and this, it goes across the board for like anything, including yeah. people try and go hard real fast. And this right. isn't a method about going hard because we're dealing with nature and she's unforgiving. She is merciless. If you search for your limits in nature, you will find them and you may not be safe when they come crashing down on you. Yes. Uh, if you get too cold, you lose dexterity in your hands and it's hard to put on a jacket when you can't move your fingers. So what are you going to do if you're alone and you can't move your arms because you push too far? You didn't follow the safety precautions. You didn't go with a friend who can help you put their coat on. That's where trouble gets. And we want to avoid that as much as possible. So what would you recommend for people that have dropped too uh, low in uh, core body temperature and their first instinct is to, and I, I've done this myself, is to go and take a hot shower. Don't and, do that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that, that could really hurt you. Um, yeah, so that was excruciating. It's, yeah, it's, so bundle up, maybe a couple of heating packs on your body, raise your core temperature, drink warm tea, hot chocolate, uh, chocolate, a couple bites of M&M, some uh, Hershey bar, something to help get the endorphins released in your body and gradually warm up. And then when you stop shivering, then go take a warm shower, not a hot shower, but a warm shower. And you can bring the temperature up as your body normalizes, but you can actually hurt yourself more going from extreme cold to a hot shower. It, It could really... Yeah, it's, not be a pretty sign. Yeah, it's uh, it's intense. And so, mm-hmm. what like physiologically is happening? Why is there so much pain occurring when you go from being extreme cold to a hot shower? So, when you're really cold, your veins and arteries and your hands and your legs have constricted, so that you know your body's trying to protect your core. 
what has all your vital organs. It's the most important part, your core and your brain. So it tries to keep as much warm blood here as possible. And when you're super cold and you go back inside and you're starting to warm up even slowly, your veins and arteries are starting to dilate slowly. So that cold blood is now mixing with your body and you're starting to cool off more and more. And you may not be outside, but your body's still cooling off. And then if you jump right into a hot shower, you're just expediting that process. So the hot water is going to make your heart beat a little faster, which is going to move cold blood through your body a lot faster, which hurts. And it's going to open up your veins and arteries in your body because that's how they respond when they're warm. They dilate. So now you're basically pushing cold blood through open dilated veins and systemically. arteries. Systemically. Yeah, and, and the nerves start the to feel The nerves start to freak out. Okay. That's my understanding of it. And if someone out there knows a better answer, I mean. Right. Um, this also brings me to um, my mother. She just wants to tell you how much she loves you and how, <laughs> you, how much awesome. you've like helped her because she hasn't done like the full ice bath yet. She's done your breathing protocols. Wim's had, breathing protocols. Yeah, Wim's breathing protocols. And her she had issues with her hand with pain and you know you know me with my machine mm -hmm. i have a microcurrent device that i use to help people with pain symptoms and you know we tried it and she got relief but the pain just kept coming back right but in that one session with you and you just encouraged her you know not to go into the full ice bath because like that's maybe like you know step zero mm -hmm. instead of step number one where some people are afraid to get into the ice bath um but you're like hey let's just put your hands in the water mm -hmm. let's let's do step zero mm -hmm. you know as an entry point and in doing that her pain actually went away and and now through your recommendations whenever it maybe creeps up or something she'll do uh, both cold and uh hot you know and and go back and forth that mm -hmm. contrast therapy so mm -hmm. it's made a huge difference oh, for that's her. fantastic yeah so yeah thank you man <laughs> my absolute pleasure so yeah if, you, if people are scared to go in the cold try a cold shower and and the easiest way to try a cold shower in the morning is you just turn your water on and step in it's going to get warm eventually <laughs> i mean depending on how good or bad your pipes are i mean i've had someone say well my water stays cold for three minutes mm. well go in at two minutes and 30 seconds then try yeah. 30 seconds and eventually you let it hit you you let it oh okay okay you, you slow your breathing down and then try a minute and then try in the beginning, middle, and end and just play with it. Have fun with it. It doesn't need to be this serious thing. So many people try and make it more than it is. And the, the, if you look at Wim, he has a sense of play with everything. Even he doesn't take it. I mean, he, he, we take it seriously when we're in the ice and we're doing cold exposure, but we have fun with it. We'll be singing along the way or humming or telling bad jokes because when people laugh, they forget that they're yeah, cold. So right. it's just have fun with it. Play with it. If it's, if it's a scary... Do a little bit first. Try your hands. Just get your feet wet. It's not so scary. It's just something you're building up in your mind. Because the yeah. story you're telling yourself about how terrible the ice bath is going to be. I mean, a lot of people are in pain 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day they're hurting. Or they have some depression or anxiety that, that's been plaguing them for years. But that's a discomfort they know. Sitting in the ice for two minutes scares the, scares the crap out of them. But you're, you're in pain 24 hours a day. Just be uncomfortable in a different way for two minutes and see if it helps. Mm -hmm. 
And so in that uh, light, um, you know, people are going in and they're, they've had these stories in their head. You see, mm -hmm. that's what's really interesting when, you know, you set up the ice bath and there's almost like this sense of uh, anxiety coming, like performance, you know, like mm -hmm. before giving a speech, you know, you'll, you'll watch people like internalize. Yep. And it's, it's interesting because you'll have like a bunch of people standing around And, you know, let's say we're setting up and we're bringing ice in and you can start to see you like watch our, their shoulders go up yeah, a little the, bit. There's like tension in the air. Mm -hmm. They're getting goosebumps and it could be 105 degrees outside, but they're getting goosebumps from being cold and they haven't even gotten in the water. Right. It's right. Just, that's just how powerful your mind is. You're it's afraid crazy. of the cold. So your body's reacting like it's cold and it's 105 in Sacramento and people are like, oh, I'm shivering right now. Mm -hmm. You're not even in the water. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's inner narrative that's happening. And they're telling themselves this story and then the moment that they uh actually like you know take that initiative or decide i'm gonna do this mm -hmm. you know and i've heard that it's about like fire walking as well you know walking over like uh, uh cold hot coals but that you see like that that moment of empowerment that step in and then they step in and you see like their breath is taken away and they start yep. like hyperventilating. And then with your guidance, you're getting them to like slow the breath down, feel, just let it like surrender, surrender, right? Surrender to the moment. If you fight it, I mean, you can fight the ice. I, I, I don't know anyone who's ever beat it. <laughs> not, not one you have to surrender to it you have to let the experience happen you have to let you have to trust that your body will do what it knows how to do you you may not even know intellectually that your body knows how to respond to this but it does and the more you do it the better your body gets at being uncomfortable so then when an uncomfortable situation hits you like an outside stressor you go i can deal with this mm -hmm. it's you, you notice how your body's reacting and you're like wait i don't I don't want to be like this right now. So I'm going to change it. You're going to put it in manual rather than being automatic. And the analogy I use is a lot of people can react well to the storm. They can be buffeted by the winds and they can move all around and they can, you know, dodge the cow that's being pushed by the hurricane. But I'd rather be in the eye of the storm and be in the calm center and not be hit by the winds. And that's what this has taught me is to be the calm center. And yeah, and it's a valuable tool because you're not taught this kind of stuff when you're kids. I mean, it's rare that anybody understands how to prepare or even uh, be poised in emergency situations, including fight or flight when right. you're under high stress. And so this is a great way to learn how to control your physiology, your psychology. And it's, it's, it's a moment that happens when mm -hmm. you see people that finally like surrender And then there's a serenity that overcomes them and you see it in their face. Their whole body drops. They can, they sit like this and then they just let go. <sighs> right. And you see that, that relief wash over them and they finally, some people, it's one of the first times they've surrendered in years. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing every time I get to see it, that light kind of turns on and they go, Oh, I don't have to be this way. Yeah, it's an empowering moment, which is amazing. And and what we forget is we are actually part of nature itself. So it's it's like whether or not uh, you're you're gonna fight it or not. Obviously, you're gonna lose that battle. Yeah. And what's neat is that there's this mechanism or system or whatever you want to call it in our our physiology 
that can be controlled consciously. Yeah. And so that's where focus comes in and awareness mm -hmm. and the ability to breathe, you know, through whatever sensations are coming through, you know. And, and I see it as practicing with stress. Like if you want to get good at Kung Fu, you, you practice Kung Fu for years so that it's muscle memory so that when you have to use it, you know how. There's, there was before this method, for me, I didn't have any safe or constructive way to practice with stress. I would be under stress and I'd have to react. I couldn't see it coming. I couldn't calm myself down. I would just react to, okay, now I'm stressed out. And now I can cut it off at the past and be like, well, I see that this is going to be stressful, but I'm going to try and remain calm. My kids, magic. They can push buttons and make my eye twitch. But uh, that's their job. Constant lessons in patience. Yeah, and that's pretty much like life itself, yeah. right? Because there's, you know, there's going to be blissful moments, but a lot of time there's stresses. People have like framed stress as like a bad thing, mm -hmm. but it's really like the way we uh, uh, respond to stress right. is, is where you find your power. And so, yeah, I mean, life is stressful. There's a lot of things that are on our plate, especially as we are adults in this kind of like fast paced world. Yeah. There's a lot of like different kinds of expectations from family members, a spouse, uh, social media, right? Like that, that people stress out about that a lot. Mm -hmm. That's a new one, right? Yeah, that's a new one. Yeah. And, and then obviously like traffic or a job that you or fucking travel. hate. Yeah. Right. Someone loses something while they're traveling. Mm -hmm. You see it. You can see it in any airport. This is one of my favorite people watching things. You can see it in any airport. Someone loses something when they travel. I saw it. Like yeah. I was at the gate and, you know, there was a family, a father and his son looked like he was 16 years old. They're about to board the plane and the son goes, oh, shit. <laughs> this is an international flight. He 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 misplaced his passport somewhere in the airport oh and so his dad like the mom had already boarded i guess they had a younger daughter or something mm -hmm. so you know he's just like what of all things you know how did you forget your passport right and so there's that stress mm -hmm. and and i've seen people lose things at an airport and just be like okay hold on and they calm down they take a couple deep breaths and it's usually right around there and if it's not it's not and they're like okay I can get through this. Or there's people who freak out and yell and scream and it never works out well for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Start yelling at the employees, yeah. you know, like blaming the manager, like mm -hmm. all that stuff. So, I mean, you see not in like the restaurant business, obviously in bar business. Maybe once. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe once or a thousand times. But yeah, people just get upset over things that I would find comical. Like, so-and-so stepped on my shoe. Well, there's 300 people in the bar. We're packed. That's going to happen. Don't wear shoes like that. and Don't get mad. And they would, they would lose their temper, and they would flip out, and they'd be so angry over something that was a non-issue to most people, but it really meant a lot to them, and they were going to fight for it. Where, where does your uh, sense of humor come from? I, <laughs> I don't know. It's, <laughs> I, I just have to say it's, it's probably from drunk people watching because what people would do 
would blow my mind. And I just was so shocked by human behavior that I could either let it like disappoint me or I could just start laughing at it. And I found the more irreverent approach I took to things and the more limits I pushed, the more fun things got. And, and I try not to offend people, but sometimes the jokes I say are offensive and that happens. And um, if there's not, a, if you don't know your own limit, <clears throat> how can you know where to draw the line? And, you know, I just started telling jokes at the bar because I was not one of those beautiful buxom bartenders <clears throat> who could dress scantily and get tips because of my body. I mean, if I dressed scantily, I would get the opposite. People would leave. <laughs> so I just told jokes and I wouldn't need to hear someone's story of why they're having a bad day. I would, they wouldn't need to relive that memory. It's just come in, let's tell jokes. Let's make fun of everything. Some things couldn't make fun of. I just left that person alone, but, or they told me to leave them alone as I was not their cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And you do, but yeah, it was just dirty, dirty bar jokes. That's mm -hmm. where it came in. And eventually it got to the point where people are like, how far can you push the limit? What's the dirty joke this week? Is it going to be dirtier than the one last week? So eventually I got into pretty dark humor. And the one thing I do want to tell people is dark jokes are not an open door for racist jokes. Like, it's not the same thing. If I tell a dirty joke, that's a dirty joke. That's not an invitation to start telling racist jokes. And there's a lot of people who confuse the two. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there, where is the line, right? Because that's the thing with uh, mm -hmm. comedy. Mm -hmm. And comedy's always, like, pushing or trying to find where that, that line is. It's, as with, you know, even uh, learning how to withstand the cold progressively, right? It's like knowing, like, where is your breaking point or your meltdown mm -hmm. point. What so, are you not okay with? What yeah, are you okay with? Yeah. Okay, what, why are what you okay with you? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the thing about, like, comedy... Um, which I see in you is that you had that ability to kind of like play around with the line. And then I guess that's where you're like aware of real good comic can like kind of read like people's expressions. And I, I, have a couple, yeah. I have a couple keystone jokes and I'll start with them. And depending on the person's reaction, it lets me know which path I should walk down. Yeah. So, so it's like these icebreakers, mm -hmm. you know, and you can see like, okay, where this person stand right now in life? Yeah. Like some feedback. People, some people take it seriously. But one of my favorite icebreaker jokes is, you know, if you had a safety word for sex, what would it be? And the length of your safety word lets me know how kinky you are. And it's just, they're like, what? I'm like, yeah. Like, you know, Oklahoma. That's a lot of syllables to say with a ball gag in your mouth. That's not really a sense. You don't, you're maybe like fuzzy handcuffs and maybe a feather sometime, but nothing too extreme. And you hear someone say like, red. Oh, you do some kinky stuff. <laughs> and it's just a funny icebreaker. And they're like, what's your safety word? And it's usually, mm -mm. <laughs> but it's, it's, it is what it is. And depending on the reaction from there, I can read it and I'll go one way or the other. And it, it depends on, you know, the crowd that night. All yeah. the jokes always depended on the crowd. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I would unabashedly still, you know, stand up comics humor, but, I wasn't going on tour saying this is my own. I was telling jokes at a bar to drunk people. So I, I never really minded. And I usually gave them credit if I remembered. 
(laughs) (laughs) What's uh, your experience with alcohol, um, (laughs) you know, it being, you know, a way for people to like wind down? Um, Is it something that is like a bad thing or it's it really is like you know it's not the dosage or or like because you can see that and people get social they're they're obviously yearning for these kind of things and they're you know they're i guess it just maturity level gets out of hand like not knowing when's when what's your experience around alcohol and how can it be used as a tool as with anything well i mean there's a difference in the crowd that comes in the daytime, your regulars who are coming in after work or maybe for a beer on their lunch break to just relax. And you see them have a beer and it's, oh, okay. And they go back to do their job and they'll come back afterwards and they'll talk with everybody and they'll have that communal moment at the bar. And maybe they'll have dinner with their friends or maybe they'll go home with their wife. And that I see is, is really healthy. And there's a tribe there and you can go to a bar you're not familiar with in the daytime. And if you walk in, most all the regulars will always look at you and know you don't belong. And it takes time to, to work into that circle. And then there's the nighttime crew. And that's generally where your binge drinkers come out. The people who are just like, let's get wasted. And they're the ones who are learning their limits. And they're the ones who are being irresponsible and are pushing themselves farther than is safe. And I'm not saying the guys in the daytime don't do it, but generally they're a little older. They've already gone woo enough times. And now they're just like, all right, have a beer. And then they go home. So I think over time it can be used properly. I've seen it used as a crutch. I've seen people kill themselves um, with drinking because their doctor said, stop or you're going to die. And they didn't stop. So... I've seen the full spectrum, 16 years, the full spectrum of really, really bad to really, really good. I've seen people clean up and then have a relapse. And I can't say it's good or bad. It just is. I mean, you can use it for beneficial things. Um, When I'm stressed out, a shot of whiskey really calms me down. And it's not delicious. I still haven't found an alcohol that tastes yummy. But um, it it does its job. It helps calm your body down for a second, but it can be misused and it's really easy to do. Mm-hmm. And I've seen people fall into a deep, dark depression that's lasted a year and they had to hit bottom to stop. And they're not willing to listen to you because you know, they don't want to. And that's why I'm glad um, I got to change to the Wim Hof method because generally people here are now like, hey, I want to get better. I want to get healthy. So it's the opposite of just, you know, what I did before. Right. And there's sort of like a, a ripening or a timing involved where somebody hits a rock bottom moment or have you ever seen anybody kind of wake up from drinking over excessively? Yes. Just like decided one day, like, and, and they didn't like really have like a doctor say like, you really need to stop or you're going to die. Like they just just said you know what this is not working for me yep yeah i've seen it it's it's a beautiful moment when it happens and my biggest hope for that person is that they can keep that drive and keep that initiative because it's really easy the brain reinforces the patterns we do constantly and it knows that if i do this i know how to deal with this i know how to deal with the hangover the pain 
people looking at me this way because I drank too much and they'll stop. And I've, I've seen people stop cigarettes, the drug habits, alcohol, just stop because they don't want that to continue anymore. And unfortunately, I've also seen the opposite happen where someone was consumed by their vice and they didn't make it. They're not alive anymore. Either, you know, alcohol or heroin or pills. And there's so many things out there for people to choose to numb themselves. It takes a conscious effort to not want to be numb. What's that culture like uh, being in it for so many years? Um, you know, what types of people like drink? Um, you know, why are they drinking? And, and why are they like, like regulars per se, you know? The social atmosphere. You find a bar with people, you come in, they know you, the bartenders know your drink. I mean, so my it's like regulars, cheers. Yeah. My, my regulars would come in and I would have their drinks ready for them. Because I knew what they wanted. Uh, some of my regulars, I would know that I shouldn't have their drink ready for them because they're going to probably throw me a curveball if I do. So it's, it's that feeling of belonging somewhere. And I've seen people come in in business suits and two, two drinks later, they're jumping out of taxi cabs. So I, I really can't begin to, to guess why someone drinks. But I've seen business meetings come in where everyone's rah, 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 and they get, they get a couple beers in them and negotiations are going smoothly now. Everyone's relaxed. Everyone's having a good time. So I've seen it lube social circles. I've seen it break relationships up. I've seen it cause relationships to form. Um, I think someone besides Homer Simpson said it, but Homer Simpson, you know, alcohol is the cause of and solution to most of the world's problems. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right. It's mm -hmm. this, uh, this amazing aspect of it that, you know, can be very beneficial, but also like very destructive. And that's with most things. It's just mm -hmm. how you use the tool you're given and you can use it to, to, as I said, numb yourself or you can use it respectively and relax your body and have a good time and have a couple beers and that's okay. What, um, what has been your journey like uh, ever since you've had that car accident back in January? Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> first of all, it was crazy because uh, we had a magic flow buzz happen. Mm -hmm. where The day before. The day before where we take people through a 12-hour plus day of flow where they experience different technologies, breathing methods, your Wim Hof ice baths, instructions, mm -hmm. uh, neurofeedback, uh, like the whole gamut of different triggers that put us in that most optimal alive state where we just feel awesome, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we're doing it with a bunch of other people, and in this case, without drugs and alcohol. No drugs know? and alcohol needed. Yeah, right, no. just totally natural, and so, we had a special guest, Dr. Dan Angle, who mm -hmm. himself is wrote the concussion repair manual. Yep. So he had, uh, he's a medical doctor who um, had gone through his own concussions multiple times and looked at all the different resources to heal his own brain. So we had this guy at the event mm -hmm. and a day later, you know, you're going home and mm -hmm. you get into an a rear end collision. Yeah. The guy I was stopped and he was going about 55, 50, 55 in a big Chevy Silverado just blasted into the back of me, like no skid marks or anything. He was having a rough day. 
it, it, he made a mistake and it happened to be he me. was just looking at his tax right um he could have been yeah could have been but i i you know i i can't even guess he just was he was distracted for some reason right and that moment of distraction had a consequence and i can't, I can't be angry at him like the truck he hit me with was a truck his grandfather had given him and his grandfather wasn't alive anymore so as much as my body can heal he lost something that tied a memory to someone he loved so he lost something too i mean i got knocked out i had a very bad concussion i'm still physically healing from it um your wife happened to be like she was behind him she was in our other car and she was behind him and my wife and kids saw me get hit wow and she was right there right away it was great the kids went inside because it happened right in front of my house and I didn't want to get into an ambulance with my kids right there. And thankfully, grandma came down. We went to the hospital. It was at the point where I, could, I had to lift my neck up like this because I couldn't move it. It had hurt so much. He hit me so hard, he broke my seat. And uh, the next day, I, I called Dr. Angle, Dr. Scott. Yeah, Dr. Scott, Scott, Scott Sher. Yeah, know. who's been a guest on this show. He's uh, has the hyperbaric oxygen mm-hmm. therapy. He suggested I go do that and he gave me a protocol to follow. And then you uh, put me in touch with Dr. Mark Gordon. Right. And I've been on his protocol, um, for about two or three months now. Yeah. And, and we even uh, had like Dr. Harry McElroy, another guest, yes, right. Yes. Who is, uh, helping people with like CBDs and mm-hmm. THC, like yep. basically cannabis medicine for, mm-hmm. for pain and also help C- heal the CBDs brain. CBDs help reduce inflammation. And I've been taking CBD since the first day after my concussion and it's non-psychoactive. So I'm not like getting stoned or anything, but it brings down the inflammation in my body, which is what I needed to have done after a concussion because it's brain inflammation. And that's, that's not good. The timing was crazy because you you had all these resources. Like, (laughs) yeah, when I, when I told them I was going to contact them again, I really didn't mean in a clinical way, but it just turned out to work like that. Like, you know, work with concussion doctors. Why not get a concussion and see how that works out? And, uh, I wish I can say, I remember the months of February and March, but they're kind of fuzzy. Like my brain was rebooting, but then I got on, as I said, Dr. Mark Gordon's protocol and it kind of lifted the cloud. I'm Mm -hmm. still having some memory issues, like trying to remember stuff, but that's normal. Right. Um, I was fortunate in, uh, talking to Sean, Sean Dollar. Yeah. The big wave surfer. Yeah. Big wave surfer. He suffered a massive concussion a couple years ago. And I was really starting to stress out that I wasn't healing quickly enough. And he's like, don't worry about healing quickly, just heal correctly. And it, okay. So just, he's been on his journey and it was really inspirational to hear his, his journey through healing and how it takes, it does take time. It's, it's a big, a brain injury is a big thing and not to stress out about it, which thankfully I can do breath work when I start to feel a little anxious or stressed or sit in the ice and calm myself down. But Basically, I'm, I'm not trying to heal quickly anymore because I made a video right when this happened that I'm going to heal as fast as I can. But that was the day after a concussion. And now I just want to heal best. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it was a humbling experience. And it wasn't good or bad. It just was. It happened. And it just happened to be me who was involved. And a lot of people say, oh, that's terrible. Well, it doesn't have to be. I, I feel better as a human being today than I did in January. 
And I don't know if I hadn't gotten hit by that car, if I would feel as good as I do now. And I still have a lot ways to go, but... So like in terms of your attitude and your like joy for life has all been enhanced. Yeah. You're still healing physically, mm-hmm. but you had all these resources and tools. Mm-hmm. Thankfully. Like, yeah. Right. Like, and you actually took action to use them. You know, a lot of people have it right in front of them and you know, they're not going to the horse that won't drink the water. You yeah. know, that's the difference between staring at the ice bath and getting in. And thankfully, I'd practiced getting in enough that when it was an uncomfortable situation and I had to admit I was completely out of my element and I needed to depend on the expertise of other people. And thankfully, the people who were lending me their expertise were caring, compassionate and gracious enough to help me. Like, I I don't know where I would be without those those people. Um, The modern day health system it would have failed me. I went to a couple neurologists and one of them just said, why are you in my office? Why are you here? I'm like, I have a concussion. I want you to help me with this. He says, there's nothing I can do. Do you want some note for your lawyer that says you're hurt or something? No, I, I want the headaches to go away. I want to be able to focus for more than five minutes at a time. I want to be back. I want to have my old self back. He's like, ah, no, no, no one can do that for you. You just got to wait six months to a year and see how your brain heals. And, that was disheartening <laughs> and yeah and thankfully there were other doctors who said well we're gonna try something different we'll see if this works and thankfully it did right which they've had the track record of many people that recovered mm-hmm. fully and almost better than their pre-injury status right mm-hmm. so um, what are some of the challenges that you're still, um, going through, um, at this moment and like what, how much has healed since, you know? Well, the beginning of the concussion is like a fog and it was like, I was walking through a cloud. I couldn't remember 10 minutes ago. Um, to, to put it simply, I was seeing two plus two equaling five. So my whole version of reality was skewed. It, I was not perceiving reality correctly. It was my truth, but my truth was wrong. And unfortunately, I wasn't the nicest person to be around. And I am so honored that my wife called me on it. And she said, no, this isn't right. Two plus two is not five. Two plus two is four. And the fact that you're saying it's five shows you how off you are right now. And if I hadn't been receptive to that, I, I don't think I'd be as far along as I am now. I, I had to admit that I wasn't seeing things correctly. And that was the hardest part where you depend on your view, your eyes, your perception to be what it is. And then finding out that it's wrong was, was a tough moment, but it was necessary. And you hear this frustration with anybody suffering from traumatic brain injuries and concussions, uh, whatever form of, that it takes um, but their re- sense of reality skewed, mm-hmm. um, the migraines, the headaches, uh, the depression, the darkness, the anger, yeah. uh, like it's, quick, it's quick, uncontrollable to, to snap. Yeah. My, my wife, thankfully I listened to her then too. I would get mad at my kids and thankfully they're so understanding. They're like, my wife would explain he's, this is, he's got a head injury. He's, he's your dad. But he's, you, just, you need to give him a little space. And I would go to the room in the dark. My head would stop pounding. And I still get headaches. Um, 
I have trouble if I don't write things down, remembering them the next day. If it gets to be a couple weeks out, I'll remember, but I drop, I've dropped a lot of balls recently and that's okay. That's just part of the healing process. If I beat myself up about it, I mean, they're already on the ground. What am I supposed to do? All the dudes just pick them up and try my best. And you communicate to these people, you say, mm -hmm. apologize. Like of course, this. and own it. Yeah, own it and let, not use it as an excuse. You're like, listen, I'm still healing, you know. I'm so, sorry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's cool. And, and I, th I thank a lot of people for their patience. You know, thank you for being patient with me. And it, it works. And sometimes people are like, I don't want to work with you anymore. And it's like, I'm okay. I, I, I can't try and convince you to do something you don't want to do. And that's, that's all right. I'll, it, the, the path is the path. And I just have to keep walking. And I know eventually I'll get to where I'm supposed to go. Any uh, final words, Chuck, for the audience and everything that we've covered from, you know, the Wim Hof method, Wim himself to, you know. <laughs> a little bit uh, of everything. Yeah, like comedy to listening, awareness, uh, you the, know, the, the type of culture that happens you know, uh, the tools that are used in life and the maturity that it takes. <laughs> well, I, if I had any last words, it would be, you know, the way you handle your stress and your unpleasantness is, is vital to being happy. You, I mean, a lot of people say, oh, why is this happening to me? And I don't know why they're taking it so personal. It's happening and they just happen to be affected. It's not good or bad. It, it's, it's an experience. Life is just a series of experiences. You can label them good, you can label them bad, but if you learn from them, you've learned something. So learn from all of your experiences. And if the lesson you learned is, I don't ever want that to happen again, I don't want that to do it again, take steps to ensure it doesn't. See the reality you want and step into it. Even the smallest step towards your goals is a beneficial step. So baby steps, minor steps to a big goal. Were you a drunken Dow master before? Um, I've, I've done my share of drunken mastering. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's in the theater world. It teaches you how to just roll with the punches. The show starts at 8 o'clock. It doesn't matter what's going on. The show has to start. So you can either be upset or you can just be like, well, looks like we're not having that light tonight. And you just go. And you just have to accept the fact that it's not perfect. And life is rarely perfect. That the show goes that on. The show goes on. And you can smile and enjoy the show. Or you can get upset over little inconsequential things. And I'd say just smile and enjoy the show. Yeah, and do your best. Do your best. Yeah. And even if you think you failed, if you learned something, you didn't. You didn't. You, people assume failure over so many things. Oh, I lost. I'm not as good as that person. Well, practice. Maybe they're naturally inclined and you'll never be as good as them, but at least you tried. The only thing you fail at is things you don't try. So try. And I say fail grandly. I mean, I would rather fail epically and not accomplish something than never know. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty good at that in your whole I, life. <laughs> I am epic. I, I can fail epically. Yeah, okay but look that. where it landed you. Exactly. I mean, you're an amazing human being, man. Well, thank you. So are you, sir. It's an absolute pleasure. <laughs> thank you so much. And um, on the last note, where can people find out more about you? Ah, I have a webpage, uh, icedvikingbreathworks.com. Um, the Wim Hof Method.com page is where I post most of my events and retreats. And 
Yeah. And what, what is it that you offer? Um, fundamental workshops, weekend retreats, corporate workshops, week-long retreats. It could be at your location or we'll pick another one. I, I want to go to Hawaii, so let's go there. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Aloha for sure, man. Absolutely. And I, I wouldn't call myself a life coach or business venture coach or anything like that. I just teach, help teach people how to breathe and freeze. And uh, through that, they can extrapolate any lesson they want. Try to help people be a little more uncomfortable in the, be comfortable in the uncomfortable. And that's cool. And one final thing that you do offer uh, every Monday night, which is very powerful, is your uh, online breathing uh, class, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, like, how can people get in touch with you to to be part of that? The link's on my webpage uh, for the Monday night breath work. And it's just, you know, for people to breathe with a group of people. Uh, some instructors go out in the park and do beautiful outdoor breath work in the park. But in the summer in Sacramento, it's 110 degrees, and that is just almost unbearable. So I thought about, you know, moving into an online venue, and people can do it from the safety of their own home. They can, I turn off everyone's camera, everyone's microphone, so they can just have their, their space. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's cool because it's it's international too, mm-hmm. and I've seen it grow. So um, one last time, what's your website again? Uh, icedvikingbreathworks.com. So iced with a D at the mm-hmm. end. Iced with a D. Okay. I-C-E-D-V-I-K-I-N-G-B-R-E-A-T-H-W-O-R-K-S.com. <laughs> Boom. I spelled it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chuck, thank you so much for coming on to Hangry and Horny, sir. brother. My pleasure. Thank you, everybody, for listening in on this Hangry and Horny episode. I want to give a big thanks to Chuck McGee the third. He's just an amazing human being, kind-hearted, super funny, and actually gives a shit. So, Chuck, thank you so much for sharing your story, your knowledge, and how we all can become better versions of ourselves and, uh, you know, and have a fun time doing it. So I just want to give a big shout out also to my F-Bomb sponsors of the show. They make incredible macadamia nut butters. Um, They have different flavors from the pecan version, one with sea salt, one with salted chocolate, and one with coconut. They also have incredible oils like avocado, olive oil, and MCT oil. So go to dropanfbomb.com or fatbomb.com and use the promo code FLOWREAL, F-L-O-W-R-E-A-L, and I'll get you 20% off of your first order. I want a big shout out, give a big shout out to all of you listeners of Hangry and Horny. Stay hangry, stay horny, and see you guys on the next episode. Mwah!